Man, well, uh, Covenant Church, it is so good to be here with you this morning. And as Jonathan said, we are going to need lots of prayer. So as we, as we come to mind, please be just praying for us, especially over these next few weeks as we, as we make plans to relocate and sell and buy. Uh, yeah, p- please be, be praying for us. So, uh, so this morning, I thought it would be uh, indicative for us just to, to talk about prayer. And we're going to be looking at a text from the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And we are going to be talking about how to pray, what this text teaches us about prayer. So if you have uh, Bibles, go ahead and open them up. They're on the, the text is on the screen as well. So Nehemiah, beginning in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. For the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, the statues and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, as we come and open your word, Father, we pray that it would transform us. Father, we pray that, that the words would, would change us by the power of your spirit. And so, Father, would you meet us where we are this morning with your grace? Would you comfort us? those of us that are hurting and mourning? Would you challenge those of us that, that are idle? Would you, would you help answer the questions that we may have for, for those that are listening and don't yet believe in Christianity, don't yet believe in Jesus? So Father, we invite you to do a work in us and through us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, friends, there's something about being at home that just feels right. With, when you're surrounded by people you love and trust, when there's just safety and stability, when you are seen and you are known. And yet, for so many of us, this feels like some sort of fantasy. It feels like that it's not reality. How many of us have ever felt like a stranger in our home? A stranger in our communities? A stranger in the places that we work, the places that we inhabit. Directly after college, my wife and I ministered cross-culturally in Venezuela, and we were there working with college students, uh, with crew, and we were there for only a year, but when we returned back home to Ohio, it had felt that that so much had changed over the course of 12 months. It felt like, in a sense, that we were strangers back in our, our home. And so as we dive into this book of Nehemiah today, this is the story for God's people. But instead of just one year, scholars say that it's 70 years. So leading up to the book of Nehemiah, God's people, they were forced from their home because of their sin. And now, as you see in verse 2, Nehemiah asked concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the exile. Now imagine returning to your home after 70 years. Imagine how, what that was like. Imagine how disorienting that must have felt. Imagine how, how uh, lonely these folks would have been. The, the grief that would have filled their hearts to see just how their home has just changed dramatically. I mean, seeing this, experiencing this, wouldn't this make you long for what once was? Wouldn't this at all make you long for, for the way that things were? You see, friends, we all long to be at home, to be at this place that, that feels right, to be surrounded by people who, who love us, who, who are trustworthy, to be surrounded by just safe people, to be seen and to be known. We all long for this. And so, but the reality is that folks inside the church and outside the church, we, we walk around like, like nomads. We walk around like nomads with, with no place to call home, no, no resting place, that it is, it is very much possible, and I, and I know that, that you all feel this, it is very much possible for us to constantly be around people, but yet we're, we're never truly known. We're never truly seen. And this is quite popular. This is very common. And so, while the book of Nehemiah is, yes, about the central figure, Nehemiah, rebuilding this wall and, and, and recruiting a team to accomplish a task, it is definitely about that. But this narrative of the book is about so much more. It's about restoring a city to what it once was and how it once functioned. The city of Jerusalem functioning as a home for God's people. Functioning as a place where people would flourish. Functioning as a place where people, God's people are seen and known. Functioning as a place where, where, where it would be a light, where Jerusalem would be a light to the nations. 
It would be a place where the glory of God would be put on display as God's people live in harmony with one another. And so, throughout this book, this is what we see. And one of the themes that that we see is that this book shows us how God provides a way back home. How God architects the pathway back home. And so, as you can imagine, rebuilding a wall around the city of Jerusalem isn't a small task. It is, it is a huge task. In verse 3, the, Nehemiah gets this report and it says, uh, Jerusalem is in great trouble and shame and the wall is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. The task here is huge. And for a city during this time, I mean, for the walls to be broken down, this was, this was national crisis type of event because a city was only as strong as the wall that fortified it, only as strong as the wall that, that surrounded it and, and kept people safe. And more than that, the fact that Jerusalem is just laid in ruins it's, it's this, this dramatic symbolism that we see here in the text of, of the spiritual condition of the people of God. And so this task is huge. And we, we read this text and we're like, all right, let's go. Let's, let's, let's go do it. Let's get to work. I might clap a little bit more enthusiastically, right? That was a, a, a lame clap. But, but so the task is huge. And, and Nehemiah, we just want to read the text and be like, all right, let's go. Let's go do this. But you see in chapter one here, Nehemiah, he begins this work, this very important work through prayer. And so as I even... I've read this book time and time again. I am reminded, Heath, like before you go and do, before you're so excited to, to step into something, just, just pray. Pray. And so chapter one teaches us that prayer isn't just a good suggestion or an idea, but the text tells us that prayer is absolutely essential and necessary. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book on community says this. He says, the right way to approach God is to stretch out our hands and to ask the one we know who has the heart of a father, who, who is our father. And this is what Nehemiah does in chapter one. He stretches out his hands and he pleads with God. And so we see that this text it it talks about prayer. It talks about prayer, three points, alliteration, all Ps, you're very welcome. But so prayer that is persistent, right? Talks about prayer that is penitent or repentant and remorseful. And it talks about prayer that is practical. So first, prayer that is persistent in verse four. As soon as Nehemiah heard these words, he sat down and wept and mourned for days. And he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Friends, the magnitude of what Nehemiah just received, that report, it devastated him. The magnitude of what Nehemiah heard made him weep and and fast and pray for days. Nehemiah turns to God out of a great need. And so to kind of bring you in behind the scenes a little bit on, 
on, on our journey, my wife and I's journey, our journey as a family, for the last five years, we have been asking this question of, Lord, where are you calling us to plant a church? Lord, who are the people you are calling us to reach? And back in 2018, Emily and I were at a conference as part of uh, the PCA in our denomination, and uh, we were sitting there, and I remember for the first time since we had been in the denomination, I saw a Hispanic pastor preach. It was the first time that I had ever seen a Hispanic pastor preach in our denomination, And as you can imagine, being Mexican-American, there just was something about seeing him up there, seeing someone who looked like me, who talked like me. It just made me feel welcome in a way that I needed to be welcomed. And so as I continued to understand my story and and who I am and, and who the Lord has made me to be, and as I continued to kind of look at these just general statistics across the U.S., just seeing that, that even today, almost one in five folks that are in the U.S. are Hispanic. Fast forward 30 to 35 years, and that number is projected to increase to almost one in three. And so there are so many things that I love about our denomination, but facing the reality of that, of the teaching elders in our denomination is about 1%. And so it was this point of just the Lord connecting these dots for me and my family and, and realizing who I am, the experiences that we have, and then the denomination that the Lord has called us to serve in that we just got clarity from our persistent prayers. Lord, where are you calling us to plant? Lord, who are you calling us to reach? And if you're anything like me, asking and praying, you kind of want the answer now. You want, it, you want it right now. There's this culture of immediacy that we, that we live in. And you can imagine just how frustrating this process was for me over the last five years. And yet, in the book of Nehemiah, it reminds us that building takes time. Building takes time. From, from the, the very beginning of Nehemiah and his work to the completion of the wall took roughly 12 years. I'm reminded that this culture of immediacy, like it is, it gets pushed back in my own life every time I play Legos with my boys because the instructions always say you see one brick at a time. There's never any instructions that talk about assembling multiple bricks at the same time. You can't do that. I don't have enough hands to do that, right? But, but anytime we play Legos, it just reminds me of just how much time things take, and the way that the Lord works in the midst of our persistent prayers over, over a lifetime. And so with our persistent prayers, what we've come to find out, that I've, the reality that we've lived in is that as we have prayed these things to God, that God, he might not answer you in the way that you thought or the way that you expected. We fully well expected to plant a church in Columbus, Ohio. And so the God that we pray to isn't always the God that we want, but he's the God that we need. It has just been overwhelmingly clear that the Lord has brought us here. 
And just circumstances have happened outside of our control. And we're like, okay, God, we trust you. Help us. And so persistent prayer, Nehemiah chapter 1, teaches us about that. Secondly, teaches us about penitent prayer, or prayer that is remorseful or repentant. In verses 6 and 7, it says this, Nehemiah says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servants, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments. And here in these verses, Nehemiah, he confesses sin both at a corporate individual level, a corporate and an individual level. Nehemiah acknowledges that Israel's sin has led to their present deplorable situation in Jerusalem. He, he prays that. He acknowledges that. But then he also implicates his own family system in the collective sin of Israel. And this confession that Nehemiah says here in verses 6 and 7, they don't happen in a vacuum, right? They, they happen in this context here of this, of this, this chapter that of, of these theological truths about God's character. The same way that, that our confession on a Sunday morning or throughout the week, it doesn't happen in a vacuum, but it, it happens in response to the theological truths of who God is of his holiness, of his, of his glory. We, we see those things, we behold those things, and then therefore we confess our sin. We see this here in the text in verse 5. It's this kind of theological bookend that, that kind of envelopes his confession. Nehemiah is praying to the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. This is who the God, this is the God who Nehemiah is confessing to. God is faithful when we are not. The great and awesome God, the God of the heaven, the promise keeper, the God who shows us steadfast love is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. Friends, we need this kind of God, don't we? We need a God who is faithful to us, who is committed to us, who is committed to, to working in us and through us. And how often we, we need our hearts realigned with, with what's on God's heart. We need our, our hearts realigned with the values and the priorities of the kingdom of God. Uh, imagine that you are, you know, walking you know, in your house and you feel good. You have a hundred bucks in your pocket, right? That's like, that's a good amount of change, right? You got that in your pocket and you come across, right, this relational problem that costs $10 to solve. But instead of just solving it with $10, you actually use 90 of your dollars onto that $10 problem. Now imagine, right, you still have that $100 in your pocket, you haven't spent it yet, but you come across a problem, a relational problem, a strife, a conflict that costs you $90 to solve, but you only use $10, 
right? In both scenario, on both sides of the spectrum here, we, we have one side where it's just overbearing, right? Where we're just bringing $90 to a $10 problem. And then on the other side here, we're, we're doing the exact opposite. We're bringing $10 to a $90 problem. This kind of indifference almost. So on one side, you have overbearing. And on the other side, it's, it's almost this indifference, And kind of working through relational conflict, working through relational strife is difficult. Relationships are messy. They take work. It takes time. And so friends, if if folks are going to be seen and known in our communities, if if we are going to love one another as Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves, then we need penitent prayers. We need prayers of confession, prayers of repentance. We need prayer to help us realign our hearts, realign our hearts to to the values of the kingdom and to the the values of, of Jesus. We need penitent prayer. And so, friends, when you are sinned against or when someone sins against you, it's kind of like we can do kind of two different things, right? We can acknowledge our sin, our particular sin particularly, right? And we can, we can name the hard things and we can ask for forgiveness and we can work towards restoration. So we can do that or we could just... Pretend that it didn't happen. We could sweep it under the rug. We could minimize it. And to be quite honest, the second option here, it's easier. It is, it is way easier. It takes way less energy just to minimize something or to just sweep it under the rug and just pretend it's not there. But ultimately, that doesn't lead to intimacy that doesn't lead to connection. That doesn't lead to building up a community where, where God's people flourish. The harder route is this penitent prayer, is repentance, is confession. This leads to intimacy. This leads to connection. And so what Nehemiah is doing here also in this text is he's, he's shaping our penitent prayers. Because if Nehemiah is going to go out and do this work of of rebuilding a wall so that Jerusalem, the city of God, can be the beacon of light to the nations, a a place where God's people flourish, they're going to need penitent prayers because relationships are messy. They're difficult. And so, We talked about persistent prayer, penitent prayer, and now practical prayer. So in verse 11, it says this, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Verse 11 here is this hinge verse in, in, in the entire book. Nehemiah here prays for favor. He prays for success. His prayers get very practical. It's like the, the African proverb that says, when you pray, move your feet. 
We see Nehemiah doing this. Or the great missionary William Carey, it says, we must not be content with praying without exerting ourselves in the use of means for obtaining of those things we pray for. So Nehemiah prays here for success, for favor in verse 11, and then he moves to action. Chapter 2 picks up, right, and Nehemiah is, he's going, man. He's going, going, going. And it's even just this beautiful marriage of just dependence and doing that, that Nehemiah just models for us throughout the entire narrative. Throughout the entire book, Nehemiah just shows us what, what it looks like to pray very practically. Right? That he would be the answer to his prayers. That his feet would move. And so in my study of this text, I um, had read this book many times before. I love the book of Nehemiah. But I, I learned in my recent study that the name Nehemiah, it means Yahweh has comforted. Yahweh has comforted. God is using Nehemiah to bring about comfort to his people. And so 450 years later, after the time of Nehemiah, God would comfort his people in a way that he never had before. God would bring comfort. He would provide a way back home through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't have a home, and yet he cared about others who, who didn't have a home either. He was constantly with the outcasts, constantly with sinners. He was constantly around messy and controversial people. He entered into their isolation. He entered into their loneliness. He saw them. He knew them. And Jesus showed us that the way to home is through him. That this way to, to home, this place of refuge and, and safety, to be seen and to be known, it is found in Christ. I mean, last night as Emily and I were out to dinner, we were talking with our, our waitress. And this point was just reinforced through our, our very short but powerful conversation. We were, she just was sharing with us how in, within the recent months she had been baptized. That she had met God's people and that she was welcomed and that she had, had found that there was just, there was something that was off inside. There was a certain emptiness Right? She wanted to be seen. She wanted to be known. And God's people ministered to her in such a way that she understood the gospel and got baptized. That's amazing. That's beautiful. And so this morning, if you are listening and you are not a Christian, I just want you to, to hear me out. Christianity is, is utterly unique among all the other world religions and worldviews and self-help uh, manifestos that, that are out there. Because all of these other world religions put this ladder before you and before us. And they say, you know, if you want to find your way back home, if you want to be right with God, if you want to find this place of refuge and rest, then climb Climb the ladder, climb it fast, climb it higher. But we know that's problematic, right? There are several problems with the way that these other world religions operate. 
Because we don't know how tall the ladder is that we need to climb. We don't know if we've done enough climbing, right, to be right with God. In the back of your mind, you're kind of just like wondering, have I done enough? Will God accept me? If I climb the ladder high enough, you have no assurance, no peace to this question here. And another problem with this and how the world religions operate is that climbing this ladder, right, to be right with God, it ends up being just this wild game of comparison that either leads to pride or despair. It leads to pride as you, as you look down on others and like, whoa, I'm better off than those, you know, than, than the people below me, right? It just fills you with, with, with pride as you look down on, on people who are on these lower rungs than you. And, and then either, you know, you're filled with pride or you're filled with despair as you try climbing this ladder. Because, you know, when you, when you compare yourself with people, you will inevitably find people who are more intelligent who are more compassionate, who are more gifted than you, and that will lead you to despair. So it's like you choose between pride or despair. So these world religions outside of Christianity put this ladder before you and they tell you to climb. And it either leaves you with this feeling of superiority that I'm better, right, than them, or constantly swimming in despair. Friends, this is exhausting. This is an exhausting way to live. And so, if you aren't totally sure about Jesus, if you aren't totally sure about Christianity, I want you to know what makes Christianity utterly unique is that Jesus climbs the ladder for you. Jesus climbs the ladder for you. God provides a way for you to be seen, for you to be known, for you to be at rest, for you to have a place of refuge through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this invitation of Christianity is is for us to place our faith and our trust in the truth that God has provided a way for us to come back home. And that Jesus doesn't turn to you and say, climb, climb fast, climb high. Jesus doesn't say that. But in fact, he says, I will climb for you. This dramatically changes the way that we live, friends. This dramatically changes the way that we live. We, we are no longer asking, have I done enough to be right with God? Because Jesus did it for you. His climbing up on the cross and substituting himself in your place for your sin to make you right with God was sufficient It was in his resurrection that he demonstrated that he is stronger and more powerful than death itself. And whose resurrection power is at work in your life, changing you from the inside out. And so instead of pride or despair, it causes in God's people deep thankfulness and gratitude to well up inside of us when we begin to realize that the sin in our lives deserves the punishment and wrath of God, and yet Jesus stood in our place and received that punishment, received that wrath upon his shoulders, it changes you. 
when we begin to see and understand that Jesus is a refuge, that Jesus sees us and knows us, it changes you. It makes you want to be a refuge for other people. It makes you want to to go, right? To step outside of your comfort zone, to, to maybe take that step of faith and to trust God with the results, to be a refuge for other people. It changes you and you begin to have these desires and burdens that, that the local church and that our communities of faith would, would be a gathering place for God's people, a place where people are safe, a, pa- a place where people are seen and where they're known. And you pray these prayers, but your feet move. You go. Friends, this is why starting more churches is so essential. This is why starting more churches fits within the kingdom of God. This is why it is a very practical application of Jesus' great commission. Because people are without a home. People are yearning for something more. They're yearning to be seen, to be known, to be loved. And all of this work, Nehemiah reminds us, begins in prayer. Prayer that is persistent, prayer that is penitent, prayer that is practical. And so the book of Nehemiah has this overarching theme that teaches us about home. And that through the person and work of Nehemiah, God brings his people then comfort. And that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God brings you and I comfort today. Let's pray. Well, Father, we are so grateful for the work of Christ. We are grateful, Lord, that you have made a way for us to be right with God, that you have provided a way for us to be at home, to be seen, to be known, to be loved. Father, that Jesus, you are our good shepherd. We just, we just sang, we just read those words that you are our good shepherd. You take care of us. You provide for us. And so, Father, may we first receive the ministry that you bring to us. May we first receive your promises. May we first receive your your provision, your protection. And, Father, may that cause us to go out, to step out in faith, to be a place of safety, to be a refuge, Lord, for the world around us, for our friends, for our neighbors, for those that have questions about Christianity. Father, may we go. May we go by the power of your strength. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.